a Podcast One production. This is Global Truths with Dr. Keith Souter. It is a podcast that is about international situations. We choose one every week, an issue that's facing the world, and then we break it down into layman's terms. So people like me, Keith, can understand what you're talking about (laughs) and to understand these situations because they're genuinely very fascinating. You are an expert on international politics. You've been a commentator in media for many, many years on all of these issues as well, very well known. Um, and we've worked together in television as well and radio. And um, and that's where I come into it because I've been involved with both for many years as well. So without further ado, today's topic is, uh, well, it, it's not it's not a calming type of topic, is it, <laughs> Keith? It's about the 10 most catastrophic things facing humankind. And we say this amid the era of coronavirus, exactly. by the way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so this is a report which has been published in Australia. It's called... Surviving and Thriving in the 21st Century, a discussion and call to action on global catastrophic risks. And it's report of a discussion convened by the Commission for the Human Future, which is based at Canberra. So it's not a government body. It's a um, a body mainly of academics. Very interesting report indeed. So what they've done is to look at the 10 big risks to humankind. I might just list these down, put them on the table. Uh, They're not in any order, one over the other. They're not in any order. So one is the decline of natural resources, particularly water. A second is the collapse of ecosystems and the loss of biodiversity. The third is human population growth beyond Earth's carrying capacity. Number four is global warming and human-induced climate change. Number five is chemical pollution of the Earth's system, including the atmosphere and oceans. You know, think of plastic bags and other things that are going into the, um, into the environment. Number six, rising food insecurity and failing nutritional quality. Uh, a third of all the food that is grown around the world is thrown away. It's wasted. Quite incredible. So we've got food insecurity and we've got people, by the way, also live in what are called food deserts, which is a new phrase. I've had to do a report on food, so these are things that are really top of mind for me. So food deserts are when people are living in a town or a village where there is food available, but it's not good quality food. It's not necessarily fresh food. So if you think of some of the more isolated settlements we have in this country, obviously involving Indigenous people, and they're living on packets of crisps, et cetera. Or in the United States, that you can have, you can be living in a big city, but nowhere nearby sells the type of food that is really good for you because all you've got are local convenience stores selling sugar-laden products. So you've got the problem of food insecurity, which affects us in the developed world, let alone the famines that we see in developing countries. Number seven, nuclear weapons and other weapons of mass destruction. Number eight, pandemics of new and untreatable disease. So that's where the coronavirus comes <laughs> mm-hmm. in, uh, which Bill Gates, by the way, was warning us about a few years ago. Uh, so we're all acting with this sense of surprise, but we were warned, but we ignored the warning. Number nine is the advent of powerful, uncontrolled new technology. And then number 10, national and global failure to understand and act on these risks. And so they are 10 
major threats uh, that have been identified. And so the commission has been created, uh, which is chaired by John Hewson, who used to be an Australian politician, very much involved still in, in public life, doing doing a great job. Um, so he, has, he chairs this commission. And so they've set up this commission to alert humanity to the nature and scale of the combination of the 10 risks facing our civilization to help devise integrated global solutions to these risks, identify fresh opportunities that arise from solving the threats. In other words, yes, we're living in a crisis, but there may actually be new opportunities for us in this crisis to encourage global dialogue about the risks, their solutions and opportunities. Again, the focus on on opportunities. And finally, to serve as a knowledge hub for the solution of global risks. It's interesting that we can benefit from the invention of the internet by the easy exchange of ideas. So that's a bit of optimism that we can hear about an idea in one part of the world. It could be in another part of the world within seconds, thanks to the internet. This is a great advantage we've had over previous eras. Uh, so theoretically, we, we stand a greater chance of hearing warnings and then also hopefully responding to them. So this is the um, report of a round table that was held in March of this year. Very interesting document as well. I might also link it with a controversy that's going on in the United States at the moment with Michael Moore's latest move, uh, movie called Planet of the Humans. So this controversy has been triggered because Michael Moore, who's made a number of other good movies, Bowling for Columbine, etc., Michael Moores uh, and his team argue that the environment movement spends too much time just talking about climate change. Yes, that is a problem, but there are many other problems that also need to be addressed. We shouldn't spend so much time just talking about solar equipment, etc. We need to look at the, the way in which we are living. It's our lifestyle which is killing us. And I think, that for me, the value of this Commission for the Future is it is also saying, yes, there's a problem with climate change, but there are nine other problems. It's saying to the nuclear disarmament people, yes, nuclear weapons are a problem, but there are another nine other problems that you guys have got to address. So it's really arguing for a more holistic approach. So uh, I recommend this Commission for the Future report, as I say, available free of charge on the internet, and also look out for Planet of the Humans once it goes online, which will be in the next few days. And Keith, look, just looking at this list of 10 a little bit more closely, let's just look at, break them down for each of them. So the decline of natural resources, particularly water, that is, we've actually done a podcast on that as well. We we mainly focus on dams, to be honest, but it is in the same sort of realm. Is water becoming less available to us? We're making greater use of a resource which is literally limited, right? You know, that God isn't making any more water. We can certainly introduce desalination, but the amount of water which is on the planet, is fixed. Uh, Jacques Cousteau uh, told me that if you were to reduce the size of the planet to an an egg, the amount of water on the planet would be the size of a teardrop. (laughs) As in clean drinking water? No, no, as in water. Wait, wait, what about the sea? I know. If you were to draw on that wall behind me a circle, so with North Pole at the top at the ceiling, and South Pole at the bottom on the floor, from where you're sitting, you would hardly be able to see the blue line which represents the ocean. 
So well, although, you know, you get a comment you know, that 6% of the ocean is covered, the surface or 70%, sure, but it's not very deep when you compare it oh. with the overall size of the earth. Okay. And a lot of the water is also getting damaged. As I say, we've got to find ways of cleaning it up, which is where, of course, the problem of plastics and other chemicals come mm. in. You and I both have plastic now in our bodies, but we don't eat plastic bags. But what happens is that plastic gets thrown away, ultimately it ends up in the oceans. It, get, it gradually breaks up over a period of time. Fish and other marine life eat the plastic. They ingest it in small amounts. And in due course, we eat the fish. And so we, we have plastic in our bodies. So this is how, this is for me the value of the report that, you know, you start out talking about the availability of fresh water and now I'm talking about the quality of the oceans and the quality of food. Mm. It shows the interconnectedness. This is what the Club of Rome tried to argue in 1972 with our report, the Limits to Growth. In other words, we said that don't just focus on individual issues, try to see the whole earth as a system, what we call the, the global problematic and in which case, you know, things all sort of fit together. Because there's always a, a tendency to fragment knowledge. It's part of the enlightenment process. that We break issues down. And in doing so, we focus on our own little strand of, of information. So academics get to learn more and more about less and less until they know everything about nothing. And so they, they fail to look at the implications for what they're doing in the adjacent fields. Mm. A very basic issue is the fact that we, we say, oh, well, we, we've got to ensure that babies don't die prematurely. We've got to keep people alive. That gives us a population crisis. Mm. And if people are going to stay alive in a richer society, they're going to consume more. So this is a basic dilemma which uh, arose back in the 1960s when Paul Ehrlich talked about the population bomb when he said there are simply too many people on the planet. Barry Commoner, Another American argued, no, the problem is not just the numbers of people, but consumption. That if, in fact, every American lived like the average Indian at that time, there wouldn't be a problem. But the problem is that Indians want to live like Americans, mm. which is what they're now doing, and the Chinese even quicker in the last 40-odd uh, years. And so that's why we have this crisis over raw materials. So it's not just people, it's also consumption of raw materials. And presumably the collapse of ecosystems and loss of biodiversity, which is the point before the human overpopulation, that is what, because of, is it overusing the Overuse land? of the land. But yeah. the standard example was here in Sydney. Look at the way that we are expanding the footprint of Sydney. We are building on what used to be the Chinese gardens, the mm. vegetable markets that used to feed Sydney. And so we are building on good arable land, not that we have that much of it anyway in Australia, we're building on the good land around the perimeter of Sydney. We're losing the capacity to grow the food, which means they're, but we're putting on these Mac, huge Mac mansions. Ironically, as families are getting smaller, the homes are getting larger. We now have some of the largest homes in the world now in Australia in average terms. Uh, so we have these huge homes for smaller and smaller families. And at the same time, we are destroying good farming land to be able to build these Mac mansions. Meanwhile, we have to bring food in longer distances. So we now talk about food miles so that you have to have truck the food in, which is the consumption, obviously, of, of energy, moving the food from Queensland into New South Wales or vice versa.
Okay, so global warming and human-induced climate change. We will assume that people know something about that one and move through <laughs> to the next, which is chemical pollution of the earth and the atmosphere and the oceans. We're talking about runoff there and... We're talking about runoff. We're talking about all sorts of things that we put into our bodies, which we then later flush out, and then they go into the sewage systems, which then end up in the oceans or end up in uh, animals that we eat. Remember, the, there, there is no waste in nature. So um, everything gets recycled in nature. The dead bodies of an animal become the food stock for another animal or leaves are useful for helping to grow the quality of the, the land. Humans came along and we then started to invent substances that don't necessarily biodegrade, aren't necessarily absorbed easily back within the earth. And that, some of that includes, of course, plastics. I've, I've identified the issue of plastics with many other things, um, people who um, take drugs, for example, and then go to the toilet, they are flushing those drugs down through the sewage system. Mm. So we touched on rising food insecurity and failing nutritional quality, and that's obviously going to be a big issue, which is quite interesting, the failing nutritional quality. Is that also aimed at the wealthier societies or are we just talking about the poorer societies? No, we're talking about everybody. We're overusing the soil. We've got to find ways of replenishing the soil. I was involved with the campaign here in, in New South Wales on recycling of sewerage because um, at that time, this was 40 years ago, we had a policy of just building longer and longer pipes, very Freudian way of dealing with problems, pump it out towards New Zealand, see how far you get towards New Zealand. Whereas we were arguing that can we not find ways of recycling sewerage? Now, I think we're beginning to make some progress in that other societies are doing a lot better it's interesting, uh, in Singapore, the average glass of water that you drink has passed through the kidneys of six other people before it reaches you. Jeez. If you go on a, a state visit to uh, England or the United States, you you know, you get shown all the monuments, etc. They don't have monuments in Singapore, but they might take you to the water recycling plant. <laughs> They're very proud of it. That's not quite Windsor Castle, but it's what they uh, are proud of as, as an institution. So, yes, you've got... The issues then of nutritional quality, the soils are getting tired, we perhaps are over-cultivating. Uh, there's also the whole issue of consumption of meat. Um, I'm coming across increasingly numbers of people who are now becoming vegetarians. And farting animals. Yep, that's right. The, in, pretty, that, well, that, that's your problem for the climate change. Mm, yep. Yeah. Oh, you're right, it's multifaceted. So then what, um, we're going to skip nuclear weapons and other weapons of mass destruction because I think we're quite well aware of the state of the world when it comes to that. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Plenty of countries have nuclear weapons and some of them have, well, less than sane people at the helm. Exactly. So we That's, just hope yeah. that that one stays uh, well within control. Pandemics of new and untreatable disease, well, as we know, uh, we're, we're facing one. That. Where, which will yeah. change the future forever. Yeah. but And it could happen again, Keith. And it will happen again because mm. as we eat into the rainforests, as we get into the jungle areas, et cetera, we are liberating from those areas diseases that previously were not a problem for us because we never got near the rainforest. But because we are thirsty for resources, et cetera, then uh, we are liberating these these diseases. And so you get a virus that jumps from the monkeys into humans. So simian immunity virus becomes a human immunity virus. If we were quicker, we would be calling this, say, the Kinshasa disease or whatever, because we know that it came out of Central Africa somewhere. As we built that road across Africa, that's what liberated the virus and it worked its way out to the coast. 
and somehow it got across into uh, into the Americas and then around the world. Great. <laughs> and you're right. There are plenty of wild animals that we can get more diseases from. Exactly. Yep. Number nine, now this is an interesting one, the advent of powerful, uncontrolled new technology. We're we talking about robots and all that We're talking about things? robots, artificial yeah. intelligence, and we're only just beginning uh, to look at what could be happening uh, with that, with those issues. And so um, that's really putting on our radar screen the whole issue of um, what's happening. Uh, artificial intelligence could contribute to many catastrophic risks. Fake news, which we have looked at in this series, in this report, fake news is distorting the discussion around the climate emergency. Governments have lost their way on how to frame public policy on such matters. The fragmented national leadership we currently have is incapable of managing global problems on the scale of those problems which now confront us. So we've, we've got to look at how we handle uh, those issues of new types of, of technology. Um, how do we implement what's called the precautionary principle? which is to act very cautiously. The problem is that science is running well ahead of the human capacity to absorb and control this new technology. And um, finally, global failure to understand and act preventatively on all on all these risks. And, and Keith, you're right, because, again, so many of us are spoiled. We're very wealthy, wealthy societies. And then anyone who is not has aspirations, generally speaking, except for some of the Middle Eastern countries, to be wealthy. That's right. And the problem is that the warnings are given to us, like the Club of Rome report in 1972, which was then ignored by the politicians. So we have lost half a century in which we could have been restructuring the uh, global economy, global environment, etc. And we have lost that. As I say, Bill Gates himself only a few years ago warned about the risk of a pandemic. He had mm. no idea it was going to be coronavirus. He just simply said, there is this risk out there. And so the problem is that the media, and including social media, are just so focused on the immediate, the short term. Politicians have got the concentration span of a flea. So the political system is, is not working very well. There's no long-term thinking. It's interesting, you know, if you look at the dispute over the coronavirus with Australia and China, the deep-seated issue, which we do not address, is what should be Australia's long-term relationship with China. We just think in terms of trade, overseas students, now it's a coronavirus issue. But the deeper structural issue, the fact that we are militarily linked to the United States, economically linked to China, we're like a child caught between divorcing parents. How do we keep those two parents talking to each other? That is the structural issue which doesn't get dealt with. Instead, we deal with all these peripheral issues. At the moment, it's the coronavirus, et cetera. We've really got to change our mindset and try to look more deeply at issues, which is, of course, what we try to do in this series. And, and you do a damn good job of it, Keith. Thank you. <laughs> this has been Global Truths with Dr Keith Suter. It's recorded in the studios of Podcast One. Producer is me, Kate Mack. Production assistance by Matt Dwyer. Audio production by Darcy Thompson. And for more episodes, head to podcastoneaustralia.com.au or download the Podcast One Australia app. 